Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. It's the B and E podcast. I couldn't even I couldn't even do it with with a straight phrase. It's the B and E podcast once again. Once again, uh, doing this for the hundred and ninth time. I thought it was tenth. Is it hundred tenth time? Maybe it is the hundred and tenth time. I always feel like you're one behind them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> in more ways than one. But that was the joke, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> So today we've got a uh, we've got a topic. We've got a topic. We've got a topic of some sorts. Um, so what we say right now might not actually be what we end up titling it, but um, we're going to get into a conversation about um, controversy um, amongst artists, um, which I think is interesting. Artists are very often subjects of great controversy. Um, the things they do, the things they create, their personal lives. Um, and how do we, I think it's just kind of an interesting conversation. How do we respond to that? And the thing that spurred this on is, uh, it was just the Oscars, um, this last Sunday here. And there was that, the, the big debacle. You didn't know about it until I just told you (laughs) a few moments ago, but, um, they had announced the wrong picture as Best picture. They announced La La Land, but Moonlight was the real winner. Um, and so there was like a, a lot of people thought it was like this giant screw up and like heads are going to roll, but it was also kind of, there's some beautiful things that have kind of come out of that as well, which I think is an interesting twist on how we sometimes perceive things as happening. Um, and also uh, I had read an article, which was interesting to me. It was this woman was saying, um, because of some of the people who were present at the Oscars, whose films were winning awards or had been nominated, um, are people who, uh, are kind of subjects of controversy. Um, people who've like, we're talking about like Mel Gibson here. Um, we're talking about Casey Affleck, uh, who has, you know, allegations against him for, um, I'm not sure if it's for assault or just harassment, maybe both, um, from years ago. And so how do we, how do we respond to these things? You know, people who's, who do work that we really like, but they have these things like, have they been held accountable? They not like, it's kind of a weird sticky thing. And that's why I thought this could be a good conversation for us to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, it's funny because like, you know, as much as I'm in film and I didn't even watch the Oscars this year, which is probably the first year in, I don't know, the longest time. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've always watched them every year. Um, but you know, I, I've kind of like, as I've evolved through this career, I've started to realize the whole award thing is, I mean, it's just so overblown in my opinion. And I think that, you know, when people do get awards, it's really a nice recognition of what they've done, the work they've done. I think a person's, I personally think a, a person's personal life and award have nothing to do with one another. I, I think they're totally separate. Um, you know, 
we've been putting people on pedestals and I'm not saying it's good, Yeah. but we've been putting people on pedestals for, since the dawn of time who are corrupt and shady and, and, and I'm not saying these people are, but we've been putting people on, uh, you know, high up and in positions and recognizing them and giving them authority who are corrupt and, you know, and, and, and have low, a low quality character. And Mm -hmm. we've been doing that forever. And I think that when it's happening and we have something like, uh, you know, the Oscars going out, it's, you know, it's, it's, that's us. That's what we do. We, we do that all the time. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's, the problem is, is partly that, you know, children, maybe see these people and then they emulate them and they think, well, if they can get away with it, I can get away with it. And Mm -hmm. then this permeates through our culture. And obviously that's all not good, but you know, we're the ones that make that possible. And I think the problem that I have with it, when people go like, Oh, like, you know, this person, did they pay for what they need to pay for? And all this, I think it's like, don't look at how it was someone else's responsibility. Look at how it was your responsibility and how you did Jack to help make that not so. Like you, you know, you went and saw the movie. You didn't boycott the movie. You didn't do anything, you, you know. And the other thing too is another whole side of this thing, which I want to bring in this conversation. I, and I'm sure there's some people already who are disagreeing with me, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes it's good to take a stance on these types of things. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe by the end of this, I'll be like, no, I changed my mind. Yeah. But right now it's the way I see it. Um, the other thing too, is that there's this whole thing in our culture where we, we don't really embrace forgiveness. Mm -hmm. People fuck up all the time. People make mistakes all the time. You know, people do things that, you know, they might commit a crime or they might do something. And then we, we have this kind of society or this culture that says, well, now you're broken and no good forever. Mm -hmm. You know, like in, uh, Nordic, um, cities like Sweden and Finland and stuff like that. I think the maximum sentence you can get is like, I don't know, 15 or 20 something years, no matter what, even if you committed murder, whatever. Yeah. But they believe that people can be rehabilitated. Um, now I think there's those rare exceptions where you have like, you know, repeat offender, sociopathic type of person. That's just, um, a, an anomaly to society to the point where there is no rehabilitation possible potentially that's possible. But for the most part, I mean, the, the, the people that are doing the things are something we've all created. Yeah. And I think that we got to look at how we participate in that and how we glorify. And I, and this is coming from a guy who's a filmmaker, how we glorify the film industry as though it's some type of God. It Mm -hmm. isn't. It's just, these are just kids who want to act and they love it they're, they're not gods. They're not mentors. They're like a lot of these people, you know, some of these people were born in like rich families and they were just kind of given a TV show. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like the thing is, is that we look at these people, like they're some type of idol and that's the problem. Mm. I don't think the problem is that they get awards and all that. I think the problem is we live in a culture that idolizes people for being famous. Right. So that's really my, that's really where yeah, I stand at this Because point. there yeah. can, there, and there is a difference between admiring somebody for their work and, and idolizing somebody for, because I think when you, I think idolization in itself, like that's, that's not really 
admiration, idolization. I think there's, um, there's a, a blindness and an ignorance to it. It's, um, because you don't really idolization is like, you don't even really know why you're really showing this person so much affection, you know, idolization, there's a removal of yourself from the relationship. You Mm -hmm. know, it's just like, yeah, it's, you are on this pedestal and wow. And sometimes, yeah, it's because it's just because somebody's famous, you put them on a pedestal just because they're, you know, them to be famous within society. Mm -hmm. Right. Not because you're like, yeah, I think that they're just like breathtaking in their work and whatever, you know, like it's, I know perhaps I'm wrong in this because I, I'm just suddenly I just thought of like, yeah, but what would happen if I suddenly found myself in an elevator with Daniel day Lewis? <laughs> well, I think, you, know, you know, I, I, cause I do in some ways kind of idolize this guy. You've been um, born into a world that's taught you to idolize, you know, it's a, so it's a social, it's a social issue. It's not a, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's not a personal issue. It's a social issue. I, I, I idolized, you know, most of my life, from a teenager onward. I mean, I idolized Brad Pitt. I just thought, you know, to me so much. And then Edward Norton came along in fight club. And then, you know, Edward Norton became someone who I idolized in, in many ways as well. But to me, I think the the thing about that's part of our culture. We're kind of taught to look, we're taught to look at people who are doing exceptionally well in the physical world. And I say physical world because there are people who we can see it. They have the body, they have the money, they have the lifestyle. And, and it, as long as media can make it look like they have that, yeah. as long as media can make it look good, we're taught to want that. Now, this is the, this is the really messed up thing that if I could get this through to anybody on this entire podcast, if I could get this one point, who do you think benefits from that? Hmm maybe that movie star benefits from that to some degree, maybe that rapper, maybe that musician, whatever, but you know who really benefits from it? The companies like Nike and Reebok and, and you know, whatever you name the company, they benefit off of using this tool of a celebrity to market their shit and sell more of it. Yeah. So, you know, if we were brought up in a world where we understand that fame is you agreeing to be used by other things so that, and the exchanges you're going to get paid. And we start to see the, the effects of that, right? So now the thing is, is we don't like the, we don't, we, we like it when it all works. And like when the movie stars are all like, maybe they're, maybe they, they're like Paris Hilton and they're drinking too much and they're partying too hard or Lindsay Lohan and they get pulled over by the police and we can go, Oh, that's interesting. I can talk about it with my friends, you know? but we, we don't like it when it's someone else who, you know, there's some type of like rape charge or whatever, something that we feel affects us personally. And so we, we go, I don't want the world to look like that. I don't care if the, I don't care if the celebrity was snorting Coke and got in a car accident and then the police put them in jail, but I do care if they did this other thing because that and socially is not okay. And so the thing is, is that you still put the power in their hands either way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're, like, I think we're taught that celebrity is something we should want as opposed to understanding what celebrity actually is, is that you're, you're basically, you've been put in a position where companies and businesses can use you. 
you know, if you, if you want to really see that to the highest extent, watch or just start to learn about the boxing or MMA like type of world. Like, um, there's a documentary out right now called the hurt business. Okay. And that's a really interesting documentary because they talk about how like, you know, the fighters, you know, like a fighter will do a, a, say a professional MMA fight, you know, they're not uh, George St. Pierre or someone really big like that. And they'll get paid $20,000 for a fight. Now a young kid, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. But you're getting $20,000 for a fight. I mean, in today's day and age, $20,000 in the first world is like, maybe that covers you for a quarter of the year or, you know, maybe if you really like live very little, maybe half, mm-hmm. but the thing is, that's not a lot of money. Plus you got your head smashed in, or maybe you got knocked out and your career might even end. Now, the thing is, is that the, the MMA, you know, the company, all the sponsors, do you know how much money they made? Oh yeah. It's an incredible amount. We're talking millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, and, and you take that over the course of the year, billions, right? Potentially. Yeah. So, you you know, you're looking at, you're looking at how this fighter is really just being used and they're putting their life and their health on the line, which mm. they may have to pay for effects later. Celebrity's not much different. The only thing with celebrity is that we don't, you know, if you're an actor or a filmmaker, you don't necessarily experience the physical violence and yeah. the physical effects necessarily, but it's all the same. And so like, you know, uh, I think we all, I came into this industry very disillusioned as an actor, you know, thinking fame was the, was the path. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I wouldn't, I wouldn't embrace some form of it, Yeah. but I think it's important to understand it because there's a lot of people that just want to use it, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and it does, it's like you said, it's like that one talk, you know, this coffee cup, I deserve the styrofoam cup. You know oh, yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. That's, that's really it, right? You get the porcelain cup because, you know, they want to make you feel special. Because of the status that you hold. Yeah, they want to mask, they want to comfort it enough so you don't feel like you're being used. Yeah. Right? Because that's why they treat, that's why they treat celebrities so well. Why do you think they give them the big trailer? It's not because they care about them. I mean, some people do. Some people will personally care. But for the most part, they want to keep you so comfortable that you don't feel the effects of them using you to get what they want done because that's really what they're doing. And it doesn't make them bad either. That's just part of business. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. The problem is we don't understand it. And then we try to get this whole personal thing wrapped up into it all. I just think that that's a really important thing to take away from all this, right? Yeah. So we take the Oscars. I mean, it's the ultimate celebrity in film. Yeah. And I mean, and the Oscars is, it seems like it's, it's always a point of controversy in and of itself. There's, it it brings some sort of issue. Like the last number of years, it's been about the lack of diversity, Hmm. um, within films. And, uh, and this year it was maybe not quite as controversial in some respects. Um, but the way some of the things have unfolded, like there's, there's always things that you can kind of touch on and get into because of, the people that are, are involved. And yeah, I think that you raise a good point into all of this where, you know, when we get into these, into these questions about the, some of the people who were nominated or received awards who, um, have, have maybe some, some checkered things in their, in their past, in their history. And, you know, I think that where this one article that I read was concerned is that what is the message that this is sending? 
you know, was mm-hmm. probably what it's like that, you know, people can, can just sort of still be, have their careers made, you know, still yeah. be reaping a lot of rewards and success, um, and not have to answer for, uh, the things that they have done. What kind of messages that send to, you know, the generate, like the next generation to yeah. come when they, when they see something like that, right. Uh, on a bigger level. And, you know, it's, it's a very complex issue with this one article I, I did. I took issue within the fact that it's like, well, I felt it didn't do much to resolve the deeper issues that they never that are do. underneath it. It, these, it was, these articles never resolve anything. It's because they, they start doing a blame game. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, and I can, there was a lot that I understood exactly um, where the, the author of this article was coming from. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, like I, I get it, but there is, and it's okay to be angry about it. You know, it's totally okay. It's like anger is usable energy for us. But after we have anger, then we need to have a reasoned response to everything, right? We need to look at, well, okay. So why has this happened? why are people even doing these things? You know, like why, why did these person choose these actions at, in their, in their life? You know, like how is that happening? And also the fact that it has become such an important thing for these people. And I think is, is where you're talking about like idolization. And when we put these people up in celebrity, put these people up on a pedestal, which is a societal thing. That's something that we have collectively done. They didn't do that unto themselves. Corporations didn't do that. Like, yeah, they can sort of, you know, throw a little gas on the fire, but we started the fire. Mm -hmm. You know, that was completely us as a society. There's no one person that you can blame for, for the position that these people are, are in. And when they begin to, I guess, reflect some negative aspects of ourselves, how do like, who do we hold responsible for it? Ourselves. Yeah. But we don't. We right? don't. And so we've, and, and now we're worried about the impact that these actions of these people, these individuals have done and what kind of message that's going to send. But if we didn't have people, if we didn't hold people up in this position, then it wouldn't make such a, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Right. We would maybe be able to like, look at it with a greater deal of compassion, you know, towards what's going, what's actually going on. Because people who, you know, who commit assaults and like, like verbal, emotional, physical, um, who, and who do these things like there's, I mean, it's very easy to just cast people aside and just say, fuck them. Yeah. You should be fucked for the rest of your life. It's like, well, what is that? What? I mean, but to me, that's where I go. Well, what does that do? Yeah. How, like, what is, how does that solve us? Does that really make us feel any better? Not really, because then there's just going to be the next one. And the next one, you've got to get to the systemic problem that's at the core. You're right. It's systemic problem. And the thing is, is it does, it does allow people to feel better temporarily, but then the effects happen. You know, it's like, uh, and, and all of this stuff is effects management. It's all symptoms of a deeper issue. You know, it's like 
oil spills. People go, Oh, oil spill, oil spills are so bad. You know, damn that company for their oil spill or the government. It's like, do you put oil in your car? Do you drive around? Do you have plastic? How much plastics in your house right now? Do you know that all that shit comes from oil? Do you know that you're part of the reason why oil is being shipped into your bay or into this beautiful bay? Yeah. Do you know why? And then the oil spill happens, which is an effect of moving oil around the world. And then we go, Oh, it's somebody else's fault. No, you contributed to it because you want to play the oil game. Mm -hmm. And now you know what? You fucking lost. We all did because we're all playing the oil game and that's the effects of playing Mm -hmm. this gamble. Now it's not anybody's fault, but our own. You want to stop shit like that? Stop using oil and start moving the world towards not using oil. Just like everything else. You don't like celebrities who have checkered pasts getting awarded and making examples for your children. Start directing the world in a different way. Don't participate in that shit. Stop buying us weekly magazines and shit like that and caring about their fucking personal lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the thing is get a personal life, like get a personal life yourself. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's all, you're right. It's all a systemic effect, symptom problem of a deeper issue. And it all starts with us and what we do. And then the, the argument that always comes back after you put that in someone's face is they go, what could I do? I'm just one person. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> if everybody has that attitude, <laughs> this is how we live. Yeah, right? <laughs> absolutely. And you know, and the thing is, we kind of somehow had a conversation about this recently about, you know, starting to make the changes now for, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the little ways that you can. I mean, for uh, a friend of mine, we just got into a conversation. He had, uh, he had met with, like, he'd gotten together with his, uh, his, uh, investor or whatever, or his, like his, his money guy. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And he went in there and he said, listen, I don't want any of my investments going into these companies. And I would like to invest in these types of companies instead. And their guy was just like, well, okay, you're not going to get like as big a return. You might even see some losses. Right. And he was like, that's all right. Like he was willing, like literally willing to put his money where his mouth is, mm-hmm. you know? And like, that's, I mean, I think a good chunk of us, I mean, I not, not everybody. I mean, money is a thing that I think so much of us are so poorly educated on yeah. in terms of managing our money. But a lot of us are, I know I am. And that's got me inspired. I've got to get together with, with my money lady soon. And, <laughs> got <a> money lady. <laughs> and I've got a money lady and <laughs> I'm going to do the same thing yeah. because I just, you know, when I had started out, I was just like, yeah, let's just invest in some packages, right? Like just whatever. And you know what? Almost guaranteed. I've got some money going into, into oil companies. Yeah. Right. And it's like, is that something like, I don't have to support that. I can, I can actually not invest in these types of companies. Yeah. We can, there's so many ways that we can, um, exercise our personal power and choice. And it might not seem like a big thing, but you know, these little things turn into big things. You know, it's like that snowball effect. You actually, and it takes people just doing these ordinary acts. It takes my friend just telling me that something that they've done for themselves. That makes me go, you know what? I'm going to do that too. 
Well, you know, when you start, I mean, and, and maybe this is my opinion and life experience, but when you start making sacrifices in your life to not take the easy road, you start to gain a certain humility and understand, you know, you can really have two things. You could have hubris or you could have humility. Hubris is like ego and arrogance, or you could have humility, which is a sense of like self and an understanding of what it actually takes to do the right thing in life. Um, and so, you know, when you make sacrifices in life and you go the harder path, you start to realize what it actually takes to uphold something. And so you can appreciate and respect why it's so hard for so many people, or you can take the other stance and really actually make backwards movement in the world, which is take the point of arrogance, which is say, I'm better than everybody because I do it this way. And you all should, if you, if you don't see the struggle and why it's hard to do something, I mean, why do we use oil right now? I mean, you know, like I use less of it than I have, but I still use it. And someone can call me out. They can say, well, you still use oil. And I go, yeah, I do. It's hard to, to extract this from my life in every single way. It's so implemented into our society. Right. And the thing is, is that I alone recognize that I'm probably not going to change the world just by what I do, but by building the ability to be someone who can sacrifice, who can think, who can do something a little bit different and put aside the immediate personal benefit I would get. I set an example and that begins to slowly move this thing, move the dial the other way. And it's not like you don't have to go from being like, you know, maybe you grew up under your, your parents are oil tycoons and you grew up in the South Mm -hmm. and that's what happens or, you know, Middle East or whatever. And that's how you've lived and that's how you've made your fortune. I mean, for you to move the dial might be not as like, you know, like you, you, you know, you might not just go totally green and never use oil again. Like it it might have to be more gradual. I'm not saying like, not everybody starts in the same place on the Mm -hmm. dial either. If you grew up with hippie parents who lived off the grid and have learned how to basically do everything electric and solar, well, you're way ahead of everybody, but not everybody got that opportunity. But if that person who's the quote unquote, say hippie, where bohemian comes and says, well, everybody else is an asshole. It's like, well, you were, you might've been born into that. Not everybody was. So we need to have a little compassion for everybody as we go through this. I mean, nobody's, nobody's bad. Like, it's not like we're bad people. We're all trying. But the thing is, is that we also don't see that what we're doing today has effects tomorrow. And then sometimes we're faced with those effects and it's not someone else's fault. We got to look at like, how did I create this? How did I make this? So right. And, 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 you know, I look at this thing with Casey Affleck, for example, it's like, well, how did, how how did I participate in this, in this? If I don't like that, how did I participate in this? You know? And, um, I don't know if I can necessarily do anything about it immediately to make a difference, but in time, if, cause I can do one of two things and say, ah, well, fuck it. It's everybody else's problem and nothing will change and the world will probably just get worse. (laughs) Or I can say, okay, well, like, how did I participate? And then I can maybe have a conversation like this with you. And you know what? We're, we've put ourselves in a position to have a mic in front of us where people will listen. And currently to date, we've had one day, you know, our highest day so far, 500 people listen to podcasts that we did in one single day. And sometimes it's hundreds, but like we had 500. So eventually it could be thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people. 
but we've, we've slowly been putting ourselves in a position where our voices are being heard. So I think like, well, we have two things going on. The more that we try to work this shit out, the more other people hear it. Maybe someone hears it. Maybe they kind of adopt it, you know, but we're not just two guys talking. Now we're two guys with some other people who are listening. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all begin to kind of create a, a certain mic. Now they don't have to listen to us. I said this in earlier podcasts, you guys give us the power to communicate to you. You decide to listen. Mm-hmm. We don't come into your bedroom turn on our podcast and make you listen to it all night. We don't do that. Yeah. If you're listening to it, you turned it on yourself. Now our, our responsibility, our job is to hold your attention and hold your appreciation for these conversations so that you will pay attention enough. And maybe you'll go, okay, I get that. I can feel that. And maybe you don't agree with everything we say, but that's okay. We also created forums for you to talk back to us and say, look, maybe you said this on the podcast. I don't agree with it or talk about this topic or talk about this thing. And we are open, right? We're not like, and, and we even came at this where we said, you know what, let's not try to teach anybody. Let's just share our own experiences and try and work it out together. So even further, it's all a dis- discovery. Now, I think like that's one forward movement in the way the world can evolve. Is it going to change the world? I have no idea what the effects will be. But I do believe that it is affecting in a positive change. Mm-hmm. And, the, and I look at the, I look at this conversation, I go like, what an interesting conversation to bring up because, you know, we've been taught most of our lives to just blame other people f- for our problems. Yeah. And so you and, and I come out and we say, well, maybe it's our problem. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and it's, and it's not to, to say that we shouldn't hold people accountable yeah. for what they, for what they do. But I mean, the more we can exercise compassion for other people and try to have understanding for other people in everything that they are, the good and the bad, because we, we're full of good and bad shit on ourselves, you know, celebrity. And we put people as idols. I mean, they're exposed, Yeah. you know, like you're, you're out there and to, to just point a finger, like, are these people any worse than, than we are? No, like they're, they're just people they're just people who are in a position that we put them in. And now we've given them a label of, Oh, well they should act in a certain way because it's like, well, no, that's in some ways an unreasonable expectation for us, you know, like, and, and again, like this is why it's kind of an interesting topic is because you kind of have to get a little bit dirty in these things a little bit. You got to muck it up a little because yeah. How do you navigate this? Like you want to try and exercise more compassion because I mean, I, in uh, Dan Millman's, the laws of spirit, like he has a chapter in there, which is the law of compassion and raises a point where it's like, well, it's like, yeah, but what about, you know, the murderers and the rapists, the people who do, who do harmful things, you know, why not just hate what is hateful? Right. And the response of the sort of sage to his, his thought was, it's like, no one said that compassion is easy, but ultimately it comes down to this. What do you want to fill this world with? Do you want to fill it with more hate or more compassion? Mm. Right. And when you kind of put it, break it down to a thing, it's, it's, 
I, idealistically, we just, you, you can't really argue with it. You say, no, I want to fill the world with more compassion, despite how angry I might be feeling, despite how much I might want to lash out against this, the, this system, this problem that we have. And this person who is really just an expression of this, of a societal problem. Yeah. Really, you know, once we start to look at it more as a larger issue rather than assigning blame to individuals, I think the better we're able to like actually address these, these issues, you know, and you know, like one of the interesting things like Mel Gibson, like, as I say this word, people who are listening to this now are just going to go like, <laughs> like, what are we about to talk about? You know, like with this, per- with this person and you know, for, for personally, I never saw Hacks- Hacksaw Ridge. You, I know you saw it and you had mixed feelings about the film itself. Um, you know, like you, there were things that you thought were quite incredible about it. Things that you thought were actually really quite lacking the opposite um, for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, for me, it was interesting to say like, Oh, well he, because he said these things, you know, like yeah. he had said these things in his past, like he shouldn't be allowed to, to be there at the Oscars, like with a film that was financed and having success. And, you know, I don't, you know, I'm going to already say like, I don't agree with that, that, because he said these things that he doesn't deserve to have any kind of success or deserve to have a career anymore. Because what do you do? You relegate this person into a life of, you know, where they're not allowed to do anything anymore. Like they're, you're, that person's probably just going to become more violent and more angry and, and the problem's going to get worse. Um, and also do I think that Mel Gibson has got it. There's been no consequence to Mel Gibson for the things he's done. He said lots of consequences. He's, I mean, when's the last, like he's really only resurfaced after years, like 10 years, years and years. He's been a pariah. He's been an absolute, and he still is. Yeah. Despite his presence there, I think he still is. Mm -hmm. Um, he'll always have that hanging over his head he will always, then that's something he's got to live with, right? That's something that he's got to deal with. So what do we do as a response to him? You know, do we, do we just hate him for having said these things and done these things and say, well, he hasn't changed or maybe like we can never know these things, right? About how he actually feels to this day, what he actually thinks to this day. We can't really know. Only he knows that, right? But it comes down to to our response to it, right? Like what are, how do we want to act in the face of these things? We act so hurt and so victimized by people. I mean, it's like the little kid saying sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, words can hurt more than, than sometimes a physical thing, but the words that hurt are usually more a product of what hurts inside you. It's not really what the other person did. Um, you know, and I think that when, you know, you look at, you know, you look at racism and you look at stuff like this and you go, well, all right, there's people that are racist. Like, let's not kid ourselves. We live in a world where racism exists and it exists. Doesn't matter what race you are. Racism is exist 
And it's something that we've been trying to heal and deal with since the beginning of time. And anything that is different has always made us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That's all racism really is, is that something's different. We're uncomfortable. And now we've been taught by our elders and through society and all this other stuff that different is dangerous. And so different is dangerous. What's the best way to feel safe when something's dangerous to fight back, to bark back, to make it the problem, whatever. Meanwhile, it might've never even hurt you or even had an effect on you really. But the problem is, is now, you know, people carry this thing. And like, really what we have to do in this society is we have to start facing our fears. You know, we, we live in this, like, this kind of pretentious society where everybody walks around like they're fine and I'm okay and I'm not scared of shit and everybody's scared of fucking everything. Yeah. People are so scared. They're like, it's a joke. You know what I mean? It's just a joke. And like when people get angry, it's usually (laughs) because they're really fucking scared. Yeah. You know, when you're not, when you, you know, when you're not scared of something, you don't get angry. Mm -hmm. Like anger is, Anger is an interesting emotion because anger is just a byproduct of fear. Look at, look at uh, fight and flight, right? Fight or flight. Like flight is I'm scared. Well, if you're not going to run, you choose anger. You use the same emotion, the same fight or flight, that same visceral, like core thing to, you know, so it's the most basic, most foundational source of our emotion, right? So like, it's not to say that anger is bad. It's not to say that fear is bad. But the thing is, is we're just dishonest about it all. So like you look at Mel Gibson, you go, well, what's so scary about it all? What's the problem? What do you need to protect yourself for? Mm-hmm. So like, so some guy said some racist shit, right? Like at the end of the day, yeah. like we don't need to tolerate that and say that that's okay. And no, it isn't. And it's, and it's, and it's stupid. And you know yeah. what? And, and, and I'm glad that he, I read an article where he talked about the shame he felt about it and I'm glad he did. And that's good. That means that, that society in certain ways has upheld him to see that what he was saying and what he was putting out in the world was not okay. And it was not good. But for us personally, like who cares? You know, I have yeah. some people like we do this live stream, right? Like I have people come on here every now and then they'll hate on me. They'll say, they'll say all sorts of shit to me. Yeah. They'll say, and they'll, and sometimes they'll pick apart my physical appearance. So they'll pick apart the place I'm in or they'll pick apart all sorts of stuff. The way I look at it is like, well, what am I scared of? Like, what, what do I feel that I need to protect? You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't really matter. It's not good, but everybody on the stream can see it's not good. I can see it's not good. They can see it's not good. You know, in certain <laughs> ways it writes itself. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if, if, you know, if I make it a big deal, if I become victim to it, then I allow that to win. But if I look at it and I go, you know, I mean, I've, I've done that. I've called people out, you know, sometimes people are just not willing to hear anything. They're just, they'll just get worse. But I've actually had someone come on to my stream a couple times, actually have a couple people. They'll come onto my live broadcast stream and, and I'll just say, Hey man, or Hey, whoever, you know, don't let's, let's not do that. It's cool. You know, I don't even care what you just said. Don't even worry about it. But like here is like a channel of, of just cool people 
hanging out, talking, yeah. whatever. And if you got something to contribute, contribute, whatever. And I've had literally, like, I, I mean, I'm, I bring up these two people because I've had two people literally go from kind of being jerks to being like, yeah, I'm sorry. He's like, I just kind of came around to fuck with you. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, that's cool. I get it. You know, whatever. But like here, I don't want to, I don't want that to happen. It's like, whatever that don't worry. It doesn't matter. I don't care. And forgiveness. Cause like wherever they were coming from was probably a low place and, or whatever. I don't know. I just assume, cause I think when I was in a low place, like I, I, I haven't necessarily gone on and trolled like that, but I could see myself maybe being in a low place. And maybe that's where that came from. But the way I look at it is like, what am I going to do now? I'm like going to boot you from the channel forever. You're never allowed around. You're just a bad person and everybody yeah. should hate you. Like, why do I need to get everybody to hate you? Like, I don't need that. Like yeah. if I'm truly not scared, I face my bullies, I face them head on. And you know what? If sometimes my bullies are going to be more powerful than me, they're going to be able to even beat me up. But you know what? It's, it's the fearlessness is what makes it stop because bullies only work on fear. And so we create these, we manufacture things where people become bullies. We put them in the position of bully. Like they, they maybe didn't even want to be a bully, but you know, you, you put them in the position of bully and then they feel that's their only option. And now all of a sudden you get labeled. Now you're labeled bully or na- now you're labeled bad. I mean, the more you label someone, the more they play into that role. Yeah. I can get into the whole psychology of it, yeah. but how that works, you know, just because it's something that I spent a lot of time studying, mm-hmm. but labeling and this whole idea. So anyway, I, I think when we, when we take things like, you know, even when we label people in a good way, like, you, you know, we got to be mindful. Like we, we're creating a, an overly simplistic world where we're not being honest with where we're at. That's mm-hmm. really the issue here. That's yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, yes, you know, people, people will like to, to go back a little bit to, you know, the people who, yeah, they, they say, negative things, destructive things, um, you know, and how we respond to it is more an indication of our health as a society, Mm -hmm. as opposed, like, you know, someone like Mel Gibson says the kinds of things that he did to like, you know, his wife, to those police and stuff like that, you know, like racist, sexist, like very, very harsh things. You know, I hear, like here in Vancouver, like you, you go around like the downtown East side and you'll hear some just like vile shit spew out of people's mouths, right? Like racist, like horrible things. And, uh, you know, but that's, you know, it's said by, you know, like a homeless drug addict and you go, okay, well, whatever, Hmm. you know, but then you have, somebody whose life is in the public eye and they say something like that in a moment of not their best, (laughs) you know, and suddenly it's a big fucking deal. They're just a great, you know, and sometimes they're just a glorified drug addict. I mean, you know, a lot of of times is an addict. Yeah. And And he, and he was high on cocaine and all of this other stuff. Right. And like, uh, um, you know, you, I've, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stories you hear are usually, they're very, it's very, and uh, is, 
is it the drugs problem? Is it this, whatever? It's not. It's the, the point is, is that one person is famous and one person, nobody knows their name and probably no one cares. Yeah. And then the thing is, is that, you know, it's, you, you know, you're taking someone and they're being glorified and they're put into a position they haven't really earned and they don't really deserve to be in, in a lot of ways. And they're given a certain power and authority because people are basically like idolizing essentially what is like the false prophet. Mm -hmm. And so then you go, well, you've shown yourself to be a false prophet and I don't like that because I gave you power. And the thing is, is that why did you make that person your prophet in the first place? Why did you make that person your idol in the first place? You did that. Yeah. You know, and, and you're the one that contributed to deciding that that was so, you know, I'll share a story here quickly. So when I, you know, we were talking on the live stream there for a minute about like, I used to follow the premier league. Yeah. And I'm not going to say what team, cause I, just, I don't want to, I don't need to corner out the player, but, um, he was at first, he used to be when I first started really getting into the premier league, he was playing for my favorite team at the time. And he was, you know, the star, he was the star of the team. Yeah. And he also played the position I played and I really looked up to him. And then uh, one day he scored a goal and he ran up to the crowd and he did this act, which was like the sniffing act, which is basically to say that he snorts cocaine. And, and he, he did that like mm. to glorify it. Huge repercussions in the papers, major fine, big thing. Cause lots of kids saw this, right? Right. Well, I saw it and I was just heartbroken because mm. all of a sudden he went from being this guy who just seemed so great to me to being like, and I'm not saying if you snort cocaine or something that, that, that makes you bad or whatever. But I just had this image in my mind at the time. And I was a kid. And, yeah. and to me at the time, you know, I just, you know, I was very indoctrinating the whole idea of the, like, all drugs are bad. Everything's bad, whatever. But anyway, I'm not saying that he was bad. I'm just saying that I saw this thing. It shocked me. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, wow, like I don't see him the same way anymore. And I remember talking to like my mentors and people about that. And, and, and I was saying how disappointed I was and they pointed out, it's like, well, you're the one that made this person so important. Why did you do that? Did you know them? Did you really know anything about them? Mm -hmm. Clearly not. You clearly, you didn't know this about them. Like, and now and now it's changed. So like, why did you hold them up so high? And so it really like, and this, and I remember I worked on this through a lot of my teens, just like through, cause I saw this with other people that, and I, and I really struggled with idolization a lot in my teens and my early twenties. Um, but I started to work through this and I realized that idolization was actually, um, just like, you never know anybody. Yeah. You just never know anybody. So the thing is, is that you can, whatever you see, you can go, I really like that about them, but don't assume, you know, the whole world. Mm -hmm. And like, when I look at like an actor and you really like their performance, what you're seeing is their performance, you know, their whole life and all of that other stuff. That's another thing. Maybe you don't like who they are, but you could, you can appreciate their work. It's, it's like, uh, you know, there's lots of things like prisoners in the States, for example, will make things that people in the general public use. Yeah. Well, you perfectly like the thing that you're using. Do you know a prisoner made that? Well, if you found that out, would you like it as much? What does that have to do with the thing you're using? Who cares who made it? 
you really like it. It gives you a lot of value. So now it's hard for them to admit that because now if they admit that that's valuable, but the prisoner made it, the rapist murderer made it right yeah. now you have to go, well, is the quality of the thing? No, the quality of the thing is the same. The person who made it, what you're experiencing now is you're experiencing the fact that they're still valuable to society in spite of what they've done destructively. Yeah. Now you take that even per- you take that even further. It's challenging. It's challenging, man. Take that even further. Say you were, say you're using something. You really like it. Say it's those jeans. You're wearing those jeans. You really like those jeans. You're walking around. They're great. They're a great fit. Everything's really great. You find out that the person who like raped or murdered someone you love is the one who made them. Well, the genes, now that they were made by that person, all of a sudden we can place a meaning on them. We can create a whole relationship with the genes that have nothing to do with the genes. But this is kind of our, our challenge with the world is we put meaning on things that, that, that we attribute meaning to things that don't actually have that meaning. Mm -hmm. Now I, I, I get the whole thing of nostalgia. I get the whole thing of how we want to connect the dots, but part of what we need to recognize in that example, it's a very hard example to walk around with, but is that the person that made them is still valuable in spite of the shitty things they've done. And so maybe they should be locked up forever. Maybe that's what we have to do because we don't have another way to deal with that. Yeah. Maybe that's what needs to happen. But that person from that place could still produce value. could yeah. still contribute. I'm not saying they should get all the luxuries that society can offer. But if you look at Mel Gibson, for example, he hasn't got all the luxuries anymore. You know, he, he made a certain choice that damaged his reputation and everything in society. So regardless of, of how we deal with it, you still, you still will have to pay for the effects of what you do. Plus yeah. he's going to have to face that in himself. I don't know what his journey is. I don't know. But the point is, is that we got to try to see a certain separation between the two. A little bit of perspective. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think that it is more so about seeing how individuals are more just an expression of a societal problem. Right. You know, like it's something that's like, cause you know, these individuals are, they're not the only people who have done this, right. who, who, who do these things. And, and, you know, and for myself, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Kat about this, about this article, because it really kind of got me fired up, um, <laughs> in terms of like, oh, well, like we shouldn't be celebrating these people, you know, and, and giving them like, basically they win an Oscar and now they have like, basically their careers are made and, they've committed these things and there's no, and there's seemingly no consequences for it. And, you know, I get it. It's, and I think that the anger is at the problem, you know, that's where we need to shift our anger at, you know, like this deeper seated problem rather than necessarily the individuals, you know, it's because otherwise it's band-aid solutions to the whole, to the whole thing. And part of the, anyhow, part of the reason why, and Kat brought this up to me, she's like, like, are you upset partially because you like Casey Affleck? And I said, yes, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I really enjoy Casey Affleck's work. You know, I, I never saw his performance in, um, Manchester by the sea, but you know, I've seen him in, um, uh, gone baby gone and in, uh, uh, 
the assassination of Jesse James, like I, his performance in that was, was just so extraordinary for me in that. And it's, you know, and, and so it, it makes me feel like very conflicted about this. Like here's this person whose work I really admire, but you know, he has done these things that, you know, I don't, I don't agree with these choices that he's made. And, uh, and, and so where, how do I fit with that? You know, what do I think about all of this? Right. And it's, uh, and it's tough, man. Like, you know, this is why I, I think partially why I want to have this conversation is because it's like, there's no, there's no clear answer to this whole thing for me other than, you know, we all have to make a choice as to where we stand yeah. On it. Right. And, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, it is interesting. And, you know, I mean, just to get philosophical <laughs> existentially, we're alone. I mean, this whole world could just be, and I, this is, you know, this is Brandon's crazy talk corner right now. <laughs> There's the soapbox where it's just like about education and now there's crazy corner where Brandon gets into like I'm declaring philosophy, crazy corner with existential philosophy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the thing is, is that everything that is outside of us in uh, outside of our, in outside of our personhood, everything we see, every material, every person, everything we have projected onto it, meaning and, and concepts and relationship. It has all been produced within our own minds and then put back out onto the world. And we have a very difficult time. We experience a lot of the world as though we're taking it in. When we see something for the first time, it's hard for us to believe that we're actually projecting more than we're even taking it in to like, probably like, and, and I mean, an extreme philosopher, I don't consider myself necessarily a philosopher in some ways. Yes. But extreme philosopher might say like 99.999% is all projection. And then there's 1%, one tiny little micro percent, which is new information. I might not say it's that extreme, but it's close. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is we do experience it and see it for the first time, but how we decided to decipher it based on the past knowledge we had was what's more important. Mm -hmm. The reason why I say this existentially alone is that when we look at Casey Affleck or Mel Gibson or whoever, we project onto them this thing inside of ourself. And that's why it hurts. Because you've, the reason why you like him is because you feel he is a like you or a like what you would like to be from what you had seen. And now he's not a like what you would like to be in a certain way. And that hurts mm-hmm. because now you can't identify the same anymore with him. And so it feels alone. Existential aloneness starts Mm -hmm. to happen because now you go, Oh, there isn't someone just like me out there. And you're going to find that with everybody. Eventually, even the woman you marry or the child you have or your cat, (laughs) (laughs) whatever, you're going to figure it out eventually that that person is not the same as you. And at some point you're going to have to feel aloneness Mm -hmm. because what we we all kind of die for a little bit is this feeling of same. We want like, we want a like, you know, we want to like, so 
every time we get that disrupted, it hurts because now it, it forever carves a wedge between you and him and you feel different. Th- actually, ironically, if you could see how you're just like him and how you could do the exact same thing, given the same circumstances, you wouldn't feel the aloneness anymore. Mm-hmm. Even though you'd never do the action, you could see how it is and that that's forgiveness. And so I know this is Brandon's little crazy corner of philosophy, but I brought this no, up I in like the beginning. It. We have to forgive. Otherwise we will feel alone and alone yeah. is okay. But connectedness comes through forgiveness and in it does, doesn't just come through forgiving others either. It comes through forgiving yourself. Yeah. But it's a well, fucking journey, man. <laughs> yeah. No, and I was going to say like to add on to your crazy corner, I mean, even the concept, you know, many philosophers and, and theologies times like the eye is an illusion. The eye as a self is an illusion. Oh, like yeah. I am like, like, oh yeah, eventually I will come to a place where no, I'm not exactly the same. It's like, yeah, but the, the idea that the eye of yourself is an illusion. There is no, there is no I really, you know, and that everything is just a reflection upon yourself that we are all just like a reflection of the same thing. Right. And that any differences that you see, well, listen, there's, there's really not actually any real differences in real reality. There's no real differences between yeah. you. <laughs> Every, like the differences that you see between you are not real. <laughs> which is like, just, so this has been the crazy corner. The first, <laughs> I feel, I feel like we may have dabbled in crazy corner before, but this is the first time we've, we called it we've out, called it out. But that's, you know, what? I like we can it. call crazy the, corners out now. I feel like we should, because <laughs> I like getting into the crazy corner sometimes because crazy corner is fun. Why not? I mean, I think, um, I think artistry can benefit from a little crazy corner because um, really, if you think about it, crazy corner is thinking outside of the box. I mean, that's really what we're doing here. And it's very, very uncomfortable when you first hear these ideas. I mean, I, I mean, there's still things that I get rocked with, you know, like, and I probably will for maybe even my whole life. But, and I remember first hearing the whole thing of oneness, you know, what is oneness? I mean, most people in Western culture are like, that's a full of shit. Most people are going to really hang tight to that. Um, but the problem is, is like, if you totally neglect oneness, if you just don't even accept it as an, op- an option, well, that's your box. Now you're in that box of nothing is, can't be. The way I look at it is everything could be oneness or nothingness or separate. It could all exist actually. And it could be any of them, just one, or it could be all of them together. But like thinking outside the box is to consider anything as an option. And really you just kind of work with what you can at the moment. Cause it's the only tools you have but every time you think you know something or you close off an option, you create a box for yourself and then you limit. Yeah. And I think that artistry is, and I, and I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners would agree. Artistry is how do we get outside of the box of conformity, the box of socialization? How do we, how do we function outside of that? Because if we're only mm-hmm. within it, it becomes pretty boring. Everybody just does the same thing, but it's those kind of crazy corner people that are willing to go a little outside yeah. the fringe, you know, they're a little bit, they're willing to do that. And that's where amazing things happen. Yeah. You know, I think that's where great artistry happens yeah. too. Amazing. And I think it's the fringe. I think it's like right on the fringe of the edge. Cause I think if you go a little too far, no one can relate. 
But if you're too inside yeah. the box, everybody's like, that's boring. But it's the fringe. You know, you just got to get a little outside the well, box. About, you don't have to... It's, you know, it's kind yeah. of like going out there a little bit. You know, it's like exploring out in this, in this really mysterious territory. And then coming back with right. something yeah. and meeting people where they're at. Right. right. And being like, Hey, okay, I know this is where we're at. I'm going to, I want to try and talk to you a little bit about this thing, this yeah. weird thing <laughs> that I found. <laughs> Cause like the whole thing is crazy. I don't even know what that whole thing is, but here's a little part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a lot of how our existence goes, whether that's within art or science, you know, like it's, that's kind of, the navigating different aspects of the same, of the same thing. Yeah. Right. Like I, I always think that art and science are, are, or spirituality and science. I I find art and and spirituality to be very similar, um, just in terms of, because they seem to navigate in a mysterious territory. Um, and science works in this other thing and it's not about whether one is right or one is wrong. It's that they're just sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. right? Like they're both, they're both completely relevant. Yeah. You know, like how can you argue with what science has done for our lives? Well, here's, like and here's, what we've here's, learned from science, Here's right? the thing about science is that like, you know, people, people go, oh, well, if it's not understood in science, it doesn't exist. And like, well, that's not necessarily true because we don't have... Uh, we're not aware of certain things that actually exist in reality. Like, like we can't see infrared rays. Like we just can't, our eye can't see them, but we can create machines that can see them. Do you really like, honestly think we've created every machine that can sense every single thing that's going on in the physical world? Like no fucking way. There's so much shit going on that we don't know about right now. That is like, we'd probably be like, like people are going to look back on our generation, but like those guys thought they knew, like, you know what I mean? Like in some ways, in somehow you got to look at how, how right now we might be looking at the world. You know how we look back in the past about how people used to think the world was flat and you fall off the edge of it. Well, I mean, in a certain way, like, I don't know. There's a part of me that goes, well, maybe that's possible. Cause I've never really been around the whole world. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So there's still like, I still look at that and I go as crazy as that sounds. I still go, okay, it could be possible. But for the most part from, from, and unless everybody's in on some crazy game and I'm just totally unaware, <laughs> um, which I, I I'm going to just accept that, you know, the world is a round fucking ball and we're in the middle of this giant universe. Um, that, you know, when we look back at the world being flat and we're like, that was crazy. We're doing something right now. That's crazy. That is just like the world's flat. And one day someone will look back at our generation and go, that's how they used to see the world. I was having a conversation with someone, you know, my stepdad had a a cancer and he got stem cell Mm. done instead of, uh, doing, um, you know, where they pump, pump the toxic sludge into you. Chemo. Chemo. So instead of doing chemo, he did stem cell and, you know, he recovered. And, um, I was talking with my friend about this and we were saying like, yeah, like one day they'll probably look back at chemo, like bloodletting, you know, it'll be Mm. like the same fucking crazy thing that we used to do. Oh, there's a lot of people who look at chemo that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the future it's only going to be more so. Right. And so like, if you look at stem cell, if you look at the science of stem cell, I mean, it's obviously a thousand times better. You know what I mean? But, um, but you know, we have to progress. So I think like, the, the, the point that I'm just trying to make is that science 
helps us to work within the box that we know right now. But once we start to step outside of the box, science begins to let us down, not because of science, but just because we don't have the tools to use science beyond the box we have. Yeah. They say that in the universe, um, and I, I'm probably getting the statistic wrong, but like 95 or 98% or 85% of the world is this black matter or this thing dark that we matter, don't, dark or, matter, yeah. this thing we don't even understand. So then technically we only, as far as scientists know, have a grasp of like five to 15% of like what our universe really is. And then that, like, that's a lot of percentage we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty crazy. Huge. So like, you know, to think that science is going to answer all your questions is kind of a silly, Yeah, it's a silly thing. And, but science in and of itself and the discipline and the practice of it, brilliant. Of course. Totally brilliant. Like, don't deny it. You don't have to deny it in our physical reality, right? But don't assume that it has everything. It just doesn't. It's, we're not there yeah. yet, right? So that's where I think like the whole spiritual thing um, kind of comes in where, you know, and maybe one day we'll have the science and it won't be so spiritual anymore. Yeah. But right now, spiritual is the best way that we have to grasp onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can even look at it if you, if spiritual doesn't work for you as a word on this, it's like, it's the objective subjective experience sure. of things, you know, it's right. How do you, how do you measure the subjective experience of something? Yeah. They're trying to do that in psychology and they, and they have actually long time. And you know, I'm, I'm like psychology major, right? Long time of like, is psychology a science or is it an art? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, and they call it a science right now, but in many ways, like they, there's certain things they can't predict. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like they've, <laughs> they've, yeah, because they, there, there is a certain kind of science to it in that they've, they've noticed certain patterns and certain things, but ultimately you go like, well, okay, like we have some general templates for people's personalities and things that could be going on for them Mm -hmm. and ways that we might be able to help them, but there's no guarantee on any of it, which is that (laughs) that's that subjective part of the whole damn thing. And it's not that there's no value to that objective part, right? You know, like it's, it's not about one being right and one being wrong necessarily. I don't need, Oh yeah. Right. We're still on crazy corner. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how we got onto we this. So I'm really. like, all right, we're still in the crazy corner. Um, yeah. let, let, let's, you want to talk about the beer? Yeah, I'll talk about this beer for a yeah, quick Cause this second. is pretty crazy corner beer. Yeah. <laughs> this is, um, one we've never had on the show in terms of a brewery, but one that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and we haven't done it just because we typically like to do growler fills. We start to start doing some bottles mm-hmm. just because Which I think it's good. Cause you know, we're, we're basically, we're a little bit limited to our local breweries. I yeah. mean, and there's yeah. some great breweries that are still within, you know, our province, yeah. like the one that we're having now, which is from Phillips and Phillips is on Vancouver Island, which right. if I want to get a growler fill, I would have to take a two hour ferry <laughs> both ways, both ways, wait, you know, and we like <laughs> until, until these, uh, until we get enough money from this podcast alone, where we yeah. could have the freedom to be able to just be like, Hey, let's go and do this at the Island. Yeah. And which I look forward to the day. Yeah, it will happen. Yeah. It'll, but it'll, for it's the time happen. being, you know, um, but this is Phillips who I'm, a, I really love their beer. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to have, and I've never had this one from them. This is called their chucklehead <laughs> India red ale. Yeah. And it's got a crate, like the logo, they've always got crazy logos. Yeah. Lo- logos, logos. <laughs> um, it's a six and a half percent beer folks. I'm going to put that, 
put that out there right now. Yeah. It's a, pretty strong. Um, and it's an India red ale. Um, and it is, uh, it's really good. Yeah, I'm it's, really enjoying it. It's really got like kind it. of a sweet finish to it in some ways. It's very kind of rich, but not, not difficult to drink either. The crazy clown on the front of the bottle definitely creeps me out a little, but, um, <laughs> no, I really like this beer. This has been a great one. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really nice, man. It's, um, it's a winner. Uh, let me take another sip. Yeah. Yeah. Sip away. Sip away, pony boy. <laughs> um, it's an easy drinker. It's got a, it's got a defined taste to it, but it's not too much. And, um, yeah, I, I really like it. I mean, this is another beer that I'm really enjoying and I feel like th- the more of it you brought, the more of it I would have drank. <laughs> I just would have, I just would have kept drinking. Yeah. So, um, but that's a good sign. I mean, not that I, I mean, not that I, I drink all the time, but the thing is, is it's just, it's enjoyable. We're having a good yeah. conversation. It goes down easy. It's been a nice, it's been a nice balance for just the whole conversation. Yeah. Right? I was going to say it's, it does have a really nice balance to it because it has like, it kind of hits you with a hop Yeah, right off, off the beginning. Like it, not a, like an IPA kind of thing, but like a little bit of hop off the off the, the hop top. off the top hop off the top <laughs> you gotta say it <laughs> oh god i was like am i just gonna come out of my mouth right now uh and then it really kind of smooths out at the end into this kind of nice rich sweetness i like it well done well said um, i agree but yeah 99.999 percent i agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> and if you've been listening to this conversation you know what i mean yeah um <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> diving back in, there was something that had occurred to me during this conversation. I don't know exactly at which point it was before crazy corner, but before crazy corner. Okay. And it had to do with, I mean, it, it really, it, it still had a lot to do with how we, how we take things in and how we really can make, we can make meaning out of, out of anything for no matter which direction you take with it. Hmm. And so to get into, to, to illustrate this point and to get back into where this sort of, this conversation all began with, there was the whole Oscar, the, the, the best picture sort of quote unquote fiasco of the wrong film being announced. And I did not see this firsthand. I did not, I did not see this in like my, like news feed or whatever. Uh, some, a friend of mine told me about what happened and they're like, they're like, did you watch the Oscars last night? And I was like, no, I was doing a podcast. <laughs> Didn't watch it. Don't know what happened. And this, and my friend was just going off on just like, oh my God, like, it was like this happened and they told me the whole story about what happened. And they're like, Oh my God, it just totally like ruined the whole thing. Like this was how they saw it is it ruined the whole thing. (laughs) And for me, I went like that kind of makes it for me. That kind of makes it because Oscars come and go. Nobody really gives a shit, you know, like for the most part, you know, like there's some people who like, you know, 
they know the Oscars. They mm-hmm. love the Oscars and knowing which things won everything. And for me, I just like, you know what? I, I mostly forget who won what, whatever year. And, and what I was like, but this makes it memorable this year that the wrong film got announced. And the thing that was kind of beautiful about that for me was not only the response of the, of, of how everybody responded to it, who were actually the only real parties involved with it, who had a real stake in it, which were the team behind La La Land and the team behind Moonlight. Yeah. And they gave each other such an extraordinary embrace on stage. And the other thing was that like when, when La La Land was announced, everybody was like, great. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) This is terrific. And then it was like, no, it's moonlight. And then everyone was like, this is great. And to me it was like, (laughs) yeah, like, cause the whole thing is kind of fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, they were both terrific films and either one of them were perfectly valid winners. <laughs> you know, like it's really just semantics Yeah. at the end of the day, right? Like either one of these films could have won and people would have been relatively happy. Some people wouldn't have been, but it was kind of this beautiful thing because in a way they both won. Yeah. In a way they both really won. Like La La Land won, Moonlight won. And it was, and they knew each other so well, like, cause they'd been touring around with each other and, and, and as the whole Oscar and award season was going on, right. They knew each other. Mm-hmm. They all like knew each other quite well and were, and really admired each other. At the end of the day, it didn't make a difference who won. That's what I thought was beautiful about it. But for some people, they're like, oh, it was a total disaster. Right. And it's like, no. And to me, I'm like, no, it's, it's, that was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful thing that happened. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's, uh, the, the world is not, things are not perfect. And, and I think that there is a certain amount of, um, excellence that we want to strive for. I don't think we should let that go, but mistakes happen. And I mean, there's probably someone who was involved in that whole thing, who feels probably really responsible in a very personal, direct way, Mm -hmm. who, I don't know who it was, who was along the chain of how that all worked out, but they were like, I really fucked up and made a real mistake. And maybe they even lost their job. Maybe who knows? Um, but you know, I think the thing is, is that these, this is a product of like, Hey, you know what? you stumble in life and you move on. Life goes on, man. Yeah. Like big fucking deal. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're like, like we're so that part of the conversation that we had too is like, that's like, we get so caught up in this disruption of like things not going exactly the way we want. I don't know about you, man, but like my life has not gone exactly the way that I planned, you know what I mean? And there's been lots of hiccups. There's been lots of things. And, you know, I would, I would dare to say that even the person who's the most successful in the world, the person who looks like they're just at the top of the whole fucking thing, they would probably say that things have not gone perfect. Things have not always gone to plan, you know? And, and I, I think one of the most exciting things about being a filmmaker 
And, you know, I've been thinking about this more and more as I go through the whole experience. And I think it's actually been helping me to really embrace my acting in a whole new way as well, is that with filmmaking, especially indie filmmaking, something is always going to go wrong. It's just not going to work out quite the way you hoped. And that's something that I think I've learned as a filmmaker to be like, we'll deal with it. You know, I remember when I started my school and we, you know, I had all sorts of different people making movies. I think we made like 70 movies in the first year. Yeah. So everybody was dealing with all sorts of different challenges because no movie's exactly yeah. the same. And, um, I remember one of the students said to me, they're like, your ability to problem solve is exceptional. They're like, just, we bring you a problem and you just, you, you, you come up with this solution for it. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, thanks. And I was thinking like, well, why was that? Why, how, where did that come from? It's just making a shitload of films. You just run into a lot of problems over and over and over again, and you figure out ways to solve them. And when you don't have money to throw at them, you have to be even more creative. Yeah. And so like filmmaking's amazing that way. Like mm-hmm. I, I, you know, personally, I've never quite, I've never quite made the kind of film that I really want to make yet. I've never had the, uh, I've never created the opportunity for myself where I've been able to make quite the, the, the type of film that I really want to make. And I feel like maybe my whole career will be like that because I'll always have this new idea of what I want to do. But, um, I, I've had an amazing time in this career and I've made, uh, you know, a career out of it to some degree. And I look at it and I go, well, that's, that is the, that is the part, you know, like when I was a kid and I started this, I always try to go back to like when I was 16 and I made my first film. I mean, back then when I was 16, I just really literally worked with what I had Yeah. and I made that work and I made that work to the best of the degree that I possibly could. And, you know, I think that the whole thing about like, you know, if you give, if, if you give someone those skill, like who has that skill to basically make like something out of nothing, you give them a lot of money and a lot of opportunity. Eventually, if they have that, they're going to make something really special. So I do believe that one day I will have the means to make something truly special. I really do. Um, if I continue on this path, which I do intend to, that one day I will make a truly exceptional, special film that, um, you know, will be something that I think will really move the world. Um, but what's really exciting about this whole thing is that it's, it's, there's always going to be imperfections. And I look, I look more at my life that way. I go, well, life is a little bit like that. It's, there's just all these like hiccups and bumps and things that go wrong and, and it's how you deal with them. And yeah. And looking at your life is like, that's the exciting part. If it all just went right, if it all just went perfect, this journey would be kind of stupid. (laughs) Yeah. It would be super boring. (laughs) Yeah. Like we would just be fucking bored to death. That's yeah. Truly. We would be fucking bored to death. And it, you know, I think about this in the parallel of, you know, of acting for myself, you know, it's like, it's those unexpected moments that happen in the middle of the scene and you, and what do we call them? We call them gifts. Yeah. You know, when you learn to accept them as gifts, on like, which is a weird thing at first, like, and I guess it's, it's weird. I, I find it so extraordinary. The more and more I think about how acting really does 
when it's at its best really parallels life. Yeah. In so many ways. And, and how great acting parallels living a good life Mm. because it's through embracing the unexpected moments on a stage or in front of a camera and you roll with it and say, that was not what was rehearsed or that's not what's happened in the run for the last, you know, for the last 60 days, we like, this has not happened. And then it happens. And now something new occurs. Mm -hmm. And it, and it just sets something off on like, on something really, really amazing. Right. It just transforms everything when you learn to, to accept it. And it becomes an amazingly joyful thing when you accept it. Yeah. As opposed to when you resist it, you know, because when you resist an unexpected thing that happens, that's when weird shit starts happening. You know? <laughs> yeah. You go, it's like, uh, <laughs> you kind of like pause and you, go, uh, and then you try and just continue on with what you were doing before. And it's like, well, now you've just kind of fucked it, didn't you? Because, <laughs> yeah. because like, that's not what was happening. No, it's not what occurred in front of you. You have to acknowledge what happened. It's kind of like, you know, I also think commitment's a huge part of it. I mean, and I always say this to, to new filmmakers. I, I say, you know, you got to start up with this belief from the beginning, which is come hell or high water. I'm making this thing happen. Yeah. I'm making it happen no matter what. It doesn't matter. And like, I would say that honestly, every time I've broken that rule and I've been like, mm, and I bend on that something, that's when things start to go awry. Like, you know, I remember we, you know, the, one of the projects that like really started my producing career, you know, I raised a hundred grand for this project after this, but in the meantime, I was shooting on this shoestring budget. And of course, so much preparation went into this day, one day and it fucking torrentially rained. Oh yeah. Torrential. Like, no, I remember I was there. Yeah. Cameras can't even pick up rain usually. But there was so much rain, the camera was picking up the rain. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of rain I'm talking about. So filmmakers know what I'm talking about yeah, when no, I talk torrential. Yeah, it was a wet, wet day. And so, you know, you, you, you go and actually, I think this happened to me twice, but both times we shot and it turned out to be great. It turned out to really add to the environment. In fact, I look back and I go, what if it never happened? I mean, yeah. it was so good that it did happen. And I think that, you know, that's the thing about filmmaking. It's just it's, it's this beautiful, it's been this beautiful teacher for me because it's really taught me that, you know, you, you're going to face the environment. You're going to face circumstances that are not going to line up perfect. And you just go forward. You just go and you do it and, and you find a way. And, um, I think that there's a certain amount of like, I think it's just, it's, it's a certain kind of commitment. You know, you, you kind of got to commit and you got to decide, at a certain point when you're going to be steadfast and when you're going to be like absolute about something. Um, and you know, and when you get there, don't try and control it. Like when it gets to that place, but you know, I was watching a documentary. I watched it last night. I, I just, I've been watching a lot of documentaries cause there's been some great stuff that's come on Netflix and I don't remember the name of this one, but it's all about like the history of, of climbing and, Yosemite Park or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yosemite National. Yeah. Yosemite National Park where where all the history of how the climbers started there on those big walls and stuff. But there's this thing called free climbing, 
which mm. is absolutely nuts. Yeah. It's when you climb like a 3000 foot wall or thousands of feet without ropes alone on crazy fucking like, yeah. and, and there's no you, safety. You, you fall, you're dead. You fall, you're dead. And I thought about this and I'm like, it, it, like watching them climb some of this stuff. Like I, like I don't think of myself as someone who's scared of heights, but like I'm watching them and I'm like, the room for error is just so small. They're hanging on by their fingertips for this. And I, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that since last night a lot. And I'm like the, the commitment, there's a certain kind of commitment. And I, in a weird way, I, I don't know. I like, I wouldn't like, unless I trained like extremely hard, I don't know mm-hmm. if I'd ever be able to climb like that, but I get the idea that you go for something full out and there is no safety net. There is no fallback plan. You're simply fully 100% committed to doing it. And you watch these guys and they'll climb just like everything. They'll freeform climb it. Like, and it's like, it's, it's wild. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of mind boggling. And it really made, I walked away from that last night and, and I, I've been thinking about it all day and I've just been like, well, how do I like that to me was exceptional. That to me was like crazy and I wouldn't do that, but it was exceptional. And I thought, how could I take the lessons from that and apply that to my life where I could be so committed that I could go into something and there's only one way there's like, you're, you're doing it or you're falling and you like, you live with that, you know? And like, that's part of what makes it so exceptional. And I think that's why that even began, you know, there's mm. this, this, this level of this, le- like, and I, and I don't think many of us, and I don't even know if I have, I mean, maybe in small ways, but I don't think many of us have ever experienced what it's like to fully 100% commit ourselves and not have a safety net there. And I think that's, I don't know, maybe we're off topic a little, but I think that's an exciting part of this mm-hmm. whole journey. You know, maybe this is the lighter side of the conversation. Yeah. The first part of it was pretty fucking heavy. Yeah, no, I mean, it was <laughs> the unexpected, you know, turn, the unexpected turn. And we found and we crazy corner. Yeah, we found crazy <laughs> corner. So, but, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. I don't know where we wrap it up. What's our, what's, what's our, uh, what do we come up with after all this talking? Well, I mean, for me, I mean, this whole sort of conversation about, um, idolization and celebrity and, um, kind of our humanity, I think within that and, and our problems and, and I think that for me, like the big takeaway in this was a lot of just like, no, like we've, how these things are always the people that do these things that we, we attack, you know, like that, you know, and, and granted things that we don't want to see in our society, you know, like, you know, um, abuse and of, of all kinds, right racism, sexism, you know, um, anything under those, those types of veils, uh, that the individuals are just, they're, they're individuals who are an expression of a deeper problem, you know, and that when we want to have these discussions, let's try and talk about the problem that's underneath it. That's, that's creating it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like these, these are in some ways I see it almost as like, these are kind of like these lines, these wavelengths that, that these frequencies, if you will, maybe that permeate through our, our culture and our society. And these people just are within that wavelength. Right. And that wavelength was created by us. Right. And, and I think compassion and forgiveness, despite how hard it is for me is like, this is the way that we're going to really resolve some of these problems instead of blaming and just trying to throw a band-aid solution on it. And also that, you know, let's really take a hard look at, at what we give meaning, you know, what, like why, like the things that we give meaning and, and importance and stuff. And it's like, and, and really look at how kind of meaningless some of these things are, mm-hmm. right? Let's see how we participate in these problems within the way that we're perceiving it, the way that we're making it mean something that it doesn't even necessarily mean these things at all. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't create meaning in our lives. We absolutely, I think, should create meaning in our lives. It's important that we do that. But I think it's important that we conscientiously do these things. Mm. Yeah. As opposed to just going along with meanings that we've been told to have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd say the, the big thing I'd like to take away from all this stuff is being mindful. And I think this is something I'd just like to share with everybody is just be mindful about who you idolize and why you idolize them and what you're looking for. And I, I would come back to crazy corner a little here and say like the whole extent existential aloneness idolization to me seems like a certain way in which you can feel a little less alone. This is probably why you do it. And so, um, just understand that nobody, nobody is quite you and nobody quite will do life the way you will do it. Nobody will ever quite fit. There'll be some point where you will see there's a difference, no matter how similar you may seem at some point, there will be something that will differentiate. And even if you can't see it, it's still there. And that's just part of our own perceptions and projections and life experience. Cause we all didn't live the exact same life. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I would say that it's like, be okay with this own one thing that you are doing and experience life. But at the same time, don't let this fear of loneliness, um, like rule your life. And if you're not able to forgive, just understand that you might not feel totally connected to the whole world, but if you're able to forgive, you can actually transcend that. And I think you can come to a point of feeling really connected to even someone who you quote unquote hate or someone who you feel you could never understand. Um, you know, there's people in my life and I think I've shared on the podcast before where I've thought I would never forgive and never understand. And I learned to, and, and I'd say it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, you know, and I think that it created a lot of, a lot more inner peace and a lot more growth. Um, and then all these things that are happening in our external world, you know, the mistakes that are occurring, there are people who are doing stuff we don't like Just see how that's really just a, a systemic problem that you're participating in. Don't look at them as the blame because they're just the effect of something that was already created. Yeah. 
you know, have it be, um, someone is abusive or someone, or there's an oil spill or whatever, you know, just see how did you play a part in that? How mm-hmm. did, you know, because there's no point in just being like, Oh, it's the oil company or it's always this person's bad. That really just doesn't help you. It might feel better temporarily, but ultimately I think it hurts you and holds you back. So, you know, I think as we go, as we, as we evolve, um, as human beings, um, it, the more you see you and the whole scenario, the more you see your connectedness, um, and the more you're willing to kind of challenge what you don't know and go mm-hmm. into kind of the unknown. And maybe that sounds a little vague. I feel like that's really where you're going to start to, you know, dig out this artistry, um, and dig out this thing that is really special and genius in you. Um, don't kill your genius because you want to be comfortable. I mean, that's my, that's my point. My point is this it's comfortable to blame. It's comfortable to know it's comfortable to be separate and, and be right. But your genius will die if you're comfortable. So be willing to let go of your comfort to see how you're not maybe right. And how, you know, and all of this stuff. Well, because it all becomes very decidedly uncomfortable. Yes. When you base everything on, on these things that you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Because then you go, because it's all based on a, on a faulty foundation. Yeah. So let it be uncomfortable folks. Yeah. <laughs> Any last words, Evan? Um, you know what? There's some of what you were saying. Uh, just one last thing was like where there is uh, devastation or seeming devastation, there can be triumph. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.